in order for us to have renovated it to the level of student housing, we probably would have needed to put in 900,000 into it. And that wasn't capital that I had. So that was a challenge. And so this was a conversation I had with my partner at the time, like, what was the plan, right? Like, because we don't have that money to, to do student housing. So what we thought we would do was to fill it with voucher tenants, so like Section 8, stabilize it with Section 8 tenants. By doing so, you increase the value of the property and then do a cash out refinance and then use that money to do the full scale renovation afterwards. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on investors and welcome to episode 257 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Jason Lee on the show. Jason is a full-time software engineer in the tech industry who also invests in multifamily apartment complexes out of state. In this episode, Jason will share his experience with real estate investing and how he was able to make strategic partnerships to quickly grow his rental portfolio. He'll explain why he prefers multifamily properties over single-family properties how he chooses his markets, and how he managed to finance his deals as a new real estate investor living out of state. So if you want to learn how to invest in multifamily properties out of state, then you definitely need to listen to this episode. So without further ado, let's hop on in. All right, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, for sure. My name is Jason Lee. I'm a software engineer by trade. I went to college for computer science and engineering. So I've been in the tech industry for about six to seven years now. Formerly worked on ads at Google, um, and now I'm a engineer on at, at DoorDash, uh, working on their gifting and shipping product. Some relatively new features there. Um, in terms of real estate, I bought my first property my senior year of college. I was working at a small startup, had a decent low six-figure salary there. So I was like, you know, I think I should probably buy a property um, given. Some of my family members have been in real estate for a very long time, but my media family, we we weren't risk takers. I guess my parents weren't risk takers. So we did were unfortunately did not get into the real estate game. But just me as as like a young adult seeing my wealthier family members all be involved in real estate. So the moment that I had a you know, a full time job that I was able to go and get a loan, that was when I um, pulled the trigger immediately and bought my first property. So that was back in 2014. And what kind of property was that? The first property you bought? It was a condo actually. Um, yeah, it was, it was in, um, Queens, New York. So I'm, I'm originally from uh, New York. So I grew up in Long Island and went to school at NYU. Yeah. So my, my first property, I wanted it to be as close to Manhattan as I could afford. So Queens was the the best thing I could do. <laughs> okay. And then I guess what was ideal like in terms of purchase price, your financing terms and the current rents at the time? Yeah, so it was um it was not a great deal, but it was a great learning experience. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I, I didn't lose money on it at all. In a way it was just forced me to learn a lot. I I bought it at just under half a mil, uh, for 497,000. Um, it was a three bed, two bath, 
duplex. Uh, when, when we say duplex for condos, this means like two level, two level condo. So it was a penthouse um, on the fourth level and then also walk up to the fifth level where all the bedrooms were. Um, so it was like, you know, where can you like, it felt great deal at first. Like, oh, hey, I'm getting three bed, two bath for half a million. And then, like, yeah, I was excited to buy it. But then I didn't know anything about HOAs at that time. I didn't do any research into the the uh, HOAs financials, their reserves, any outstanding lawsuits. I didn't know any, like, to do any of that due diligence at that time. And so, yeah, I bought into it. And then, like, a couple of months later, I realized all these issues with the HOA. I, I got slapped with like a assessment like half year into it. And and the other thing was at that time, like I didn't know anything about mortgages. And I was like, uh, I just tried to get the lowest rates possible. So I got a 15 year mortgage instead of a 30 year. I paid points on it to lower the, the rates. Uh, so all, all of those things, like it was just like lack of knowledge. And because of of all those decisions, like I was negative cash flow for the entire holding period of this property. And the for me, uh, the way that I justified it to myself to to continue holding this negative cash flow asset was that, you know, on paper is still profitable, right? Because there's that principal pay down. Um, so in my head, I was just like, this is just a form of forced savings for me. Like each month I'm negative cash flow because, and I'm putting money away into savings. That's, that was the way that I justified it to myself. And so I held on to that property for almost five years. So I bought it in May, 2014, and then I sold it in May, 2019. And I sold it at 640,000 or somewhere around there. So so um and obviously those the the principal pay down was um pretty significant so i ended up the net proceeds from there was i think around 200 and like 80 something mm-hmm. like that um and you yeah. just 1031 that into something else yeah yeah 10 1031 that into a uh 24 unit in Kansas Ugh. City <laughs> so you were like okay from this new york condo that's negative cash flow that has high hoa dues that yeah. can get assessed or right. is it called assessed where they charge yeah. you? Yeah. Right. So, so can you explain what assessing is for people who don't know what that is for HOAs? Sure. Um, so assess, a special assessment is when um, the HOA has insufficient reserves to pay for any like special projects that come up. So for example, um, a, a big hurricane, which New York recently had a couple in these past couple of years comes through town and, damages the roof and your HOA doesn't have the money to go and repair it, they will assess every member of the HOA based on some formula in the bylaws, um, you know, usually it's based off of square footage. And so they'll slap you with that assessment and you need to pay it um, in order for the HOA to make those repairs or, yeah. What did you get charged when they gave you that special assessment? Um, It was like... Three thousand dollars, which, like at that time, was a lot of money to me. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's annoying, <laughs> especially right? it was when it was negative cash flow. Like, if there was if it was positive cash flow, and I'm putting money away, uh, and then this this thing came up, and I was like, okay, sure, it just came out of the cash flow. But <laughs> negative right. cash flow, on, and then having this on top of it was just pretty painful. What were you renting it for at the time? 
Um, I think I was running it for twenty seven hundred. And then what were like yeah. the HOAs, like HOA dues? The HOA dues was around six hundred or seven hundred. Dang, it's because they probably have like a guy in front, huh? Who like watches the building? No, so they didn't have any of that. Like no amenities, no doorman, garage no at least. No garage. Parking. I didn't even have a parking space. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. Uh, it was a, to four, like the elevator, I guess. Like exactly, it was for the elevator because that elevator broke every month. It was, oh my. It was, it was crazy. So let's let's go into I guess your next foray. Um, so you have this condo and you ten thirty one exchange it into a twenty four unit in Kansas City. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about why you chose Kansas City, which is very far away from New York. And yeah. I don't imagine that you live in Kansas City, right? Or you've never even been no, there before. So how'd you even pick that market and like why multifamily instead of like a single family or you know one sure. unit complex? Yeah, so um, so let's, let's start with why multifamily. During my holding period with the condo, there were a couple of incidents that led me to not want to own a single unit. So one was the tenant didn't pay for almost half a year straight. And I had to take him to court. Uh, we settled outside of trial, but uh, literally went there to court. And then at the, when we were at court, I was like, hey, I'll pay up everything I owe and give you a three-month advance for the next three months. Um, to settle it. And, and so I took it and, but like during those six months where he wasn't paying, I was, I was painful and I, I didn't know yeah. if I was Ultra ever going to recover that money. Though. Yeah. And, and like the uncertainty of ever, if I was ever going to see that money. So, so that was one, one incident. I mean, it ended up working out fine. He paid up and he was fine afterwards. He was just, he was like a small business owner, um, didn't have stable income. His, his the money that he got was like like seasonal so so that's why uh it ended up working out fine but you know it, it was just painful and then the other incident while holding this condo was when i was selling it um so after the tenant left in the process of selling it it was vacant for i think another six months and in, and this time there was no money to recover because it was there was no tenant so it was just pretty painful and because of these two incidents, I decided I'm never going to own another. I guess if it's like a really super great deal, I'll, I'll consider buying a condo again. But but generally, that's not going to be my bread and butter for investments. Um, mm-hmm. And so at the bare minimum, two units, uh, but the more the better to avoid that 100% vacancy issue. Yeah. And so like, but why'd you go 24 units? That's a huge jump from one condo, you know? Yeah, so I, I, w- I was originally mainly looking for like duplexes or quadplexes because they would still fall into that residential loan um, category. What made me jump into something even bigger was, so let me let me go back again to when you asked like why Kansas City, right? Because that, that'll kind of answer why 24. So actually, even before I sold the condo, I was already doing research into different markets. Um, I knew I didn't want to be in New York because of it was uh, super tenant friendly. You know, part of the reason why it took almost six months for me to get my money back, and that whole process was because of it being a tenant friendly state, especially New York City. So definitely not New York. And then so that you know that kind of narrowed it down to like I want to be in landlord friendly environments. And then from there, I you know. I listened to a lot of bigger pockets at that time and just like learning about 
different cash flow and um, how out-of-state investing can can uh, really help improve those cash flow numbers. And after having experienced negative cash flow and ultra negative cash flow scenarios, I just really wanted some positive cash flow. Um, and then, so I was really targeting those ca- cash flow markets. So cash flow was one thing that I was looking for. And then obviously um, all those other metrics that people look for, like population growth, job growth, um, et cetera. So doing research on, on that, I looked at different states and then within different states, I narrowed it down to specific cities. So I was looking at Columbus, Ohio. I was looking at Kansas City, um, Missouri. And then I was also looking at Indianapolis. So those were like, I narrowed it down to those three cities. And then I, uh, so I'm, I'm living in LA right now. So while I was attending a lot of uh, real estate meetups, I met a broker from Kansas City, Missouri, and we just had a conversation. And then I told her I just sold a property in New York, going to enter a 1031 exchange. I'm interested in out-of-state investing. Do you think it would be a good idea for me to fly out to Kansas City and you know we can uh, take a look at some properties and maybe work together? And, and that ended up working out. Um, I ended up only flying to Kansas City and not the other two because I just happened to meet anyone from those two other markets. And so it's kind of by chance, but kind of not. Like I, I did some preliminary research. I knew I wanted to be in one of these three markets and I just happened to have met some a broker from one of these three markets and, and that's how I got into it. So what does this 24 unit deal look like? What did you buy it for? How did you even finance it? And what were the like cash flow? Well, I mean, was it even stabilized at the time or was it like unstable? No, it was um it was like fifty percent vacant. Um oh. it was not stabilized at all. Actually it, it wasn't I didn't even land on this. So when I was touring Kansas City with this broker this was not one of the properties that we um, like went into and toured. It it just happened that on my flight back to LA, I was just browsing MLS and I stumbled across it. it like li- literally like posted on the MLS like a couple hours um, earlier or one or two days earlier. And I saw it as like 840,000 for 24 units. And you know, just the price per unit was just so attractive. And it was located right next to a university. So I sent this to the broker and asked her, hey, have you seen this one yet? Like prior to coming on the market on the MLS. Um, and then we just had a conversation about it. And then I ended up uh, submitting a uh, full price offer, full ask offer on it. And and my offer got accepted. So yeah, I'm not on the brokerage or sales side. I, I know that there's like a whole game there of how how like um, brokers uh, talk to each other and convince each other, hey, my, my buyer is the best or whatever. I, I don't know how, how it worked out, um, but, you know, I, I don't need to know that part. Um, I mean, your broker I did her job, right? She, she right. fought for you. She negotiated right. and you got the deal you wanted. So how do you finance a property like this? And I'll tell you the reason why I'm asking this. In 2018, I was really into multifamily. Like I flew to Alabama. Yeah. I was thinking about going to the same markets you were going to, right? Columbus, uh-huh. Ohio, Kansas City. And I was trying to get these, you know, 20 to 40 unit buildings. Uh-huh. And I could find a good amount of them. Now I almost got one in Jacksonville, like a 32 unit for mm-hmm. like 1.3 million. But the problem I kept coming up with was that 
the lenders would not give me a loan because I lived in California. Like I wasn't local to the area. I had no prior multifamily experience. I, yeah. I had the down payment, you know, I had like 300,000 liquid, but I could not yeah. get a loan. What did you do to finance that guy? Yeah, so the broker that, uh, connected me with a couple of local banks. So them being a local bank helps because they know the area versus like um, some national lender that doesn't know the area at all. So having a local lender, like they know the university that's right next to it. So they, they know some of like the micro uh, economic factors about the areas. So that, that helped. But again, there is that challenge of me being in California. So I ended up partnering with, I partnered with someone that she also didn't live in Kansas City, but she had a track record of investing in Kansas City. So that kind of gave them some confidence that I was working with a, a partner, a investor that has a success record in Kansas City. So who, who is your partner? Like, how did you find this partner? I met her at the same real estate meetup in LA. My broker and her were friends for some time. So when I was talking to my broker about this project and how I'm going to finance it and even execute on this project, because, you know, I'm going from a condo where everything's managed for me by like a management company to a 50% vacant property completely needed a ton of work. She asked me, you know, like, how are you going to execute on this? Like, you know, um, and it's a great question. And it's the same question that banks will ask you. And, and as a result, I, I asked her, you know, I asked her what she thought and she connected me with this, you know, uh, Hey, you, you met this person before, right? Uh, I think she'll be a great project manager or partner for you. Um, and then, so we connected and then we, we established that partnership the way that it was going to, what we ended up negotiating was like a 70, 30 split, 30% of the upside would go to this partner. Okay. And yeah, because you're bringing the funds, she's bringing yes. like the, the expertise and also the, I guess the background. Yeah. And that's why, you know, we can get financing in the first place. So right. it's, it's kind of like a syndication, right? Syndications, they do like 70, 30 splits all the time. Very right, similar right. concept. They raise money from one group and the other group is more like an operator side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a great partnership model, especially if it helps you get in in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now, what did those banks finance you? Like, what were those terms? So I actually ended up buying it all cash first. It was it was a challenge because there was like, um, there was a tight closing time window. So I ended up borrowing money from my mom, her 401k, my, uh, my wife's, I think her 401k as well. Basically, I just like, Went to everyone because so my proceeds from the the 1031 were like around 300,000. Um, I had some savings as well, so we ended up buying the entire thing cash and then doing a cash out refinance on it after stabilizing it, right? No, not uh, even before stabilizing it. Okay, yeah, I mean, you just bought it with cash so you can close fast and then cash out refire could take its, its sweet time, right? Yeah, yeah, well, because because okay. I I intended on buying it with a loan on it, but it's just because of the closing timelines, it, it just didn't work out. So the loan was already in process. I, I was already approved and everything. It was just taking some time. So I think we, we got the money back out. Um, not all of it, but like most of it um, back out after like a month. And then I just paid everyone back 
everyone put their money back into their 401ks. Everyone, everyone's fine. Nice. They weren't worried about you. They're like, ooh, like Jason's、uh, buying up more than he can chew. Or do they have confidence in you? They're like, yeah, I believe in it. Fine, go ahead. Um, it helped that my it, the loan was already approved. They just couldn't close in time. Got it. So the, there was already a plan set out so that you know it would happen. You just、right. need something to bridge the gap. Yeah, exactly. So、okay. if there was no approval, then it definitely would have been a little bit more nerve wracking, and I don't know、right. if、uh, people would have had that level of confidence. But because the the bank already approved the loan, it, it was good to go. So, what were those terms? Like, is it like a commercial loan, twenty-year amortized loan, or what's it look like? Yeah, it was.、Um, I think twenty-year am.、Um, the rate was some adjustable rate that was like in the mid fours, I believe. And I had interest only period because it was unstabilized. I think twelve months interest only. It was still negative cash flow, even though it was.、Uh, Yeah, it's funny because I I wanted to look for cash flow, but ended up buying this property that was negative cash flow. But I think what I I wanted so the way I look at it, I'm okay with it currently being negative cash flow, and this is my current mindset too. I'm okay with it being negative cash flow right now, as long as the performa is positive cash flow. So that's the way that I look at it now.、Um, right. So it was negative at the time, even with the even with the interest only period. And what's like the rehab budget for that one? So it was a challenge because there were a lot of、um, there were a lot of student housing being developed there. So the performers were really good, but this property needed a lot of money to be like put into that position. In the order for us to have renovated it to the level of student housing, we probably would have needed to put in nine hundred thousand into it. So I bought it for eight hundred and forty. And it it would have needed an additional nine hundred thousand to bring it up to like the student housing level, and that wasn't capital that I had. Or and I, you know, being a like a novice multifamily investor at that point, I didn't know how to、um, get rehab budget and things like that. So that was a challenge. And so this was a conversation I had with my partner at the time, like what was the plan, right? Like because we don't have that money to. To do student housing, so what we thought we would do was to fill it with、um, voucher tenants, so like Section Eight, stabilize it with Section Eight tenants, and then by doing so, you increase the value of the property, and then take out or do a cash out refinance, and then use that money to do the full scale renovation afterwards. So that that was kind of like the the plan that we came up with. Going that route, it would only cost taking like around three hundred thousand to bring it to that level for all the common areas and、uh, bringing each unit up to just the HUD requirement for Section Eight housing. Yeah, it would have taken the total project cost been around like one point two, and then we would have stabilized it, and it would have been worth like I don't know two mil, and then we would done a cash out refinance to to do the market rate renovations. Did you do that already? So no,、um, we ended up selling the property three months in. Oh what? At at one point two, to another investor that was did have the bank to bring it to market immediately. So we bought it at eight forty. We spent sixty k on the roofs. So our total cost was nine hundred k, and then we sold it at one point two. Uh, three months、wow. later, 
Congrats. And thanks. <laughs> yeah, so that that was a huge like, you know, boost or whatever, uh kickstart the my multifamily investing career. Yeah. Um yeah, so this this investor that bought it for me for 1.2, they they did put in that additional 800 900k to bring it to market and then they sold it a year and a half later for 2.7. So that was the potential of this property. <laughs> yeah, huge upside. I mean, as long as you know what you're doing, right? And yeah. it's cool that you guys even still got a good spread because you guys, like, do you even market it? Like, how did they approach you with this 1.2 offer? Um, so I didn't market it because there was, this was a 1031 exchange. So my intent was to hold it. And this was a unsolicited offer that came to us um, because this, investor actually was a they attended that college that was their alimator mm, got it and so that's the thing right like with 1031s you can't just i guess like for 1031s you can't flip right it has to be yeah. intention has to be buy and hold and that was your intention right. however that was you're given a sweetheart offer like it's a sweet deal so good right and if you accept it it still counts because it was unsolicited and it's so good right so then what did you do with those funds did you 1031 again to another project yeah, so I attended one the, the those proceeds. So at that point, I, my equity in real estate pretty much doubled. Um, and then I attended one that into two different properties, a 12 unit and a 17 unit. Um, they were n- not nearly as like in poor condition as the previous one. So the the deal wasn't as like the value add upside wasn't as as great. Um, but it also needed significantly less work. And so I, I I bought into these two properties on my own this time without a partner and using the same bank. So like now, now in the, the bank size, like I've, I've got, a, uh, you know, I'm, now I'm a local investor with a yep. track record. Now. That's right. And you have money, <laughs> so, so you're good. You're safe. Right. So, so this lender no longer required that I, well, and, and because it was in these properties were in, in better condition. So that's another, like, if it was like really poor condition, they probably still would have wanted, um, some, some, uh, assistance on my, my side. Oh, before you go into that, were the terms for this loan the same, like 20 year AM loan, four and a half percent interest, how much down payment were they requiring here? Uh, 20%. Okay. Yeah. That's not bad yeah. for multifamily. So my, my first deal with them, they wanted 25%. Um, so yeah, so when we bought it for 840, I was only able to cash out 75% of it. And I had yep. the 210 trapped in there. And then for these two, now that um, I have this track record and ex- experience or whatever, I was able to um, uh, get 20% down, I guess. And same thing with the interest only periods, because even though they were there wasn't much vacancies there. The plan was to renovate those units because they haven't been renovated in like 10 years. So I was able to get interest as well. Do you have a balloon payment on those, on those loans? Uh, balloon. I mean, I guess, right. Because it's a 20 year amortization and then the term is only for five years. So the balloon would yep. happen at the end of the five. Yeah. I, I'm in very similar things with my commercial lender over in Georgia. It's like 20 year mm-hmm. loan, five year, Usually it's five year, um, you know, term. Uh, but I was like, I don't like balloons, dude. They're too scary for me. What happens in five Uh years if your financial situation sucks or if you try to refinance and they don't want to give you the loan again, then you have to pay it all back. Uh Right. So I negotiated with them. I said, yeah, like 
maybe ding me a little bit on the rate, but I want a 5.5 five arm instead. So every five years, we'll adjust instead of having I to have see. a balloon. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. I awesome. think it's negotiable, you know, especially if you work with the banks enough. It's, yeah. It's doable. Yeah. I mean, especially if they can adjust it to whatever the market rates are, it's like, yeah. it's really no sweat to them, right? Yeah. Right. And the only difference is they can't demand a payoff in five years. That's like too right. scary for me. So if you have, if you have a huge portfolio, like I'll blow up in your face in one day. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. So you have these two properties now, right? You have a 12 unit or sorry, it's twelve seventeen, right? Uh, one was 17, one was 12. Yeah. So yeah, 12 and 17 unit. And then I think when I met you for the first time, like about a month ago, you said you were under contract for another one. So I ended up selling both of those too. So I don't oh, own wow. those anymore. Okay, um, cool. And now I have a 58 with a partner, a 16 that I syndicated. I have a four with partner, an eight with partner, and then we have a twenty-one uh, that I'm under contract with, with a partner. Wow, is it the same partner yeah. that you did your first deal with? No. Um, so things obviously went well with that partner, but I think we just have different investment like philosophy or strategy, and so like we're still on good terms. Actually, I work with her regularly so she, she when she used to live in la but now, now she's no longer in la she she actually moved to kansas city so she's like in the on the grounds there and like she's still very much someone that i rely on and she uh, provides a lot of support to me so like even That's though great. we're not partners per se but you know we're still work together a lot so who's this other partner that you're working with now i have a bunch so um most of them is family members that I partner with, but uh, one of them I'm partnering right now um, on the 58 one. So the lender on this 58 is the same as the lender on the 24. And like I mentioned, like they on these rougher and bigger projects, they do want to see more experience. As far as uh, they're concerned, like they see that I've only been in the Kansas City market for like two and a half years or whatever. Um, and my portfolio is relatively small relative to, I guess, some of the other real, real estate investors that they deal with. So when I came to them with this 58, um, they were a little hesitant and they actually declined me at first. So I believe it, it was, it was due to a net worth issue. That's my theory because, uh, this 58 was bought it for, I'm going to say, I'm not going to give the exact number since it's an active project. Um, but it was a, a large number, let's say it's not 4 million, but let's say it's 4 million. So the loan balance on it would have been like 3.2 million and that's beyond my net worth. So I think that was the main challenge that my net worth was lower than 3.2 million. I'm asking them for uh, a $3.2 million loan. And because of that, I needed to bring on a partner and, mm. and yep. And so you found like a family member to help you with that? So this is not a family member. This is a, another real estate investor that uh, has a lot of experience in Kansas City. So that so in addition to providing the balance sheet, they they're also providing a lot of uh, experience and support there. Are, are they based in Kansas City? No, they're not. Um, also based in California, but they they go to Kansas City like on a, every month. And how did you get networked with this investor? Uh, connected broker. Okay. So basically from what I'm hearing from you is if you're new 
to multifamily, you know, there's going to be a lot of challenges, right? Like financing, yeah. it's probably the biggest one because banks don't really like working with new investors. Um, yeah. But if you have a good broker, not only can they connect you with good deals, they can connect you with good people. They can Correct. connect you with the lender. They can connect you with other investors that can help bring, you know, bring the deal to the table, right? Um, so yeah. if you can do it yourself, they'll find another investor who can potentially partner with you. Right. I, I think the key is like good people. Um, I think like be being genuine and like trying to keep your word like to the best of your ability. Um, like I said, like I almost couldn't close on this, but it wasn't like I, I tried to the best of my ability to close on it. But like, I guess like me being flexible of, of on taking on a partner and like me doing whatever it takes to close on it. I think there's value in, in that to brokers, like, cause they know like this, this, this guy is going to try everything in his power to get this deal done. And they, they like seeing that. And so like, if they have any deals that are good, of course, they're going to first present it to, I mean, I, I think they'll present it to everyone, but, um, but maybe, maybe to the, the ones that will, they know will close first, you know, for sure. I mean, especially if you're organized and you're easy to work with, yeah. I, mean, I would send you my deals all the time. <laughs> on, like on the flip side, right? I work as a lender and there are some clients who are very good at what they do as investors. Yeah. They do a lot of volume, but sometimes they're the most pain in the ass people to work with because they think they're hot stuff and they don't comply to our rules. It's like, dude, I hate working with these people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas if you're like nice um, and you bring a lot of business, you like referrals or whatever, then yeah, of course, we're going to hook you up with the best rates and everything like that. That's That's been my experience. Definitely the... My broker, um, like I, I would not be where I am today without happening to meet her at that meetup. <laughs> I mean, it's only been what two and a half years, like you said, and you already have almost a hundred units. Yeah, uh, we have uh, ninety-two right now. Wow. Yeah, and twenty-one in the contract. Wow! Wow! Congrats! Congrats! Yeah, thanks. we uh, we're we're thinking about getting to multifamily space too. Um, we just haven't found something that really works for us yet. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our stuff is in the one to four unit range. So we're only at 24 units, which is still not bad for us. Now, I guess since you've been doing it for two and a half years and you've seen obviously success, I'm sure you had some issues too. Uh, what were some of the biggest challenges for these multifamily projects? Like not the financing part or finding the deal, but the actual project itself. Yeah. So it, it really varies. Like, like it depends on the age when the last time they were renovated, whether they were self-managed or professionally managed um and then even if it's professionally managed who were the professional uh property managers and like the most important thing is like how willing was the previous owner in terms of making investments into the property because some of them they probably bought in if i feel like they bought in they never put a single penny into it uh, except for the things that they absolutely needed to and yeah, so some of the, it really varies. The one that we're under contract on right now, the 21 unit is in great condition. Um, I think 15 or 16 of them are already renovated and the only like 25% are not renovated. They they put a lot of uh, like investment into this already. I'm not sure exactly why they didn't complete the stabilization, but it feels like they left they, they definitely left some value add there and, and that's why I'm, I'm interested in it so those are great because like then i just need to focus on renovating the the remaining units and then and then it's fine um townhouses are great as well uh i i've, I, I've owned some townhouses 
because like they don't have basements and yeah, basements are the worst. Uh, basements have like the most problems. Um, it's because like water seeps into it sometime and there's cracks or whatever. Yeah, because people neglect basements. Um, yeah, and then they just get into pretty bad shape. And yeah, so basements are where we discover the most problems with structural stuff, uh, moisture stuff. And then, so that that's like the property itself. And then there's like the, the, the types of tenants that are placed in there. Um, voucher tenants, guaranteed rent sounds great, um, but it comes with his own entire slew of problems that, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something that I say I will like stay away from, like if they, they, they have a place, but it comes with a lot of problems dealing with voucher tenants. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. From your experience, then a new person getting into multifamily should really be aware of because like you said, like for renovations, I think that's normal, right? Even if I buy a mm -hmm. home, I got to do renovations. Even if I have like section eight tenants, like I know what I'm getting myself into. And is there anything specific about like multifamily that a newer investor getting into that field should be careful of? Cause like I said, like we're trying to get into it and I have no experience mm -hmm. with large multifamily. I mean, I, w I wouldn't say, honestly, I feel like it's not as scary as some people might think it's not mm -hmm. that different. Like it is a commercial loan. And so they'll appraise it differently, which could be a great thing actually. Like, like you can actually get a commercial loan on a fourplex or even a duplex because at the end of the day, they'll just evaluate it based off of the potential income. Yep. And it may actually appraise better than the, it depends on which market, some markets, a commercial loan will appraise better than a resident residential. And then in some, some other markets, the residential one will appraise better than the commercial. Yeah. So that's one, I guess one big difference. And then the other thing is for me personally, I've been, I, I know a lot of people like love non-recourse loans. So residential are, I, I think like conventional are non-recourse. Most of the loans that I'm taking out are recourse. So there, there's definitely that scary risk factor. Um, so to like, in order to get non-recourse uh, on multifamily, the property needs to have been stabilized 90% for 90 days. So to, like, again, like I, I look for value add properties. So a lot of times they're not 90% for 90 days. So uh, I, I don't qualify for, for that. So the strategy is to like stabilize it for 90 days and then do a cash out with the non-recourse. I just, I haven't gotten to that stage ever um, because by the time I'm like stabilized, I end up selling. So I just haven't gotten to that point. Like when you stabilize, are you approached by someone else who wants to buy your property? Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It must be like a super hot market, huh? Cause when, like usually when you stabilize a property, you just sit on it, but I guess you get yeah. approached by people who want stable income. Right. So I like, I want to, because I want the positive cash flow, but I just like by the time I stabilize it and the cash flow is about to come in, they buy it off of me, and then I end up going into another negative cash flow property. Um, and so I, I just keep on not getting cash flow, <laughs> even though that that was my original goal. Who's, who's <laughs> buying your properties? Like, what kind of profile do they have? To be honest, I'm not so sure. I, I think it's a mix depending on the size of the property. You'll find like just professionals that have a lot of money, like doctors, lawyers, tech investors. Um, tech investors as in people that work in tech that re invest in real estate not people that invest in tech um 
and then like on the larger properties like there there may be like small small property or whatever that may be interested like i i really don't know the exact profile it's just yeah, because things. in this case they're buying a property that's already stabilized so there's not a huge value add component to it yeah so i wonder like who are these people who are buying for this straight up cash flow it's interesting to think yeah about. there's definitely a place for it i mean i like quite honestly like sometimes i want to do that you know like sometimes i want to buy it just a stabilized property that i don't have to do any work and just collect so like mm -hmm. it, it could be anyone it could be me you know like my next my next one i, I may just like i'm tired of this negative cash flow and just <laughs> buy buy a stabilized property yeah right yeah because i mean even with this 1031 exchange like you're not actually getting the money back in your pocket so so far you've only been putting right. money in right and in 1031 all the profits go to next property right exactly Unless you have cash flow. If you have cash flow, then the money goes into your pocket. Yeah, in this case, see, you're in this like kind of perfect situation where you're doing real estate deals, where you are making equity, and eventually when it does stabilize, you can get cash flow. But you also still have a right. full-time job. So that funds your yes. projects, it funds your livelihood. I think a lot yes. of people, when they get into real estate investing, they want to quit their jobs so quickly. And when yeah. that happens, they cut off their major source of income. So they can, like, right. imagine doing what you're doing now, but without your full-time job. You would yeah. run out of money because all your profits are going yeah. to 1031. You can do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even the same for me. I do loans, right? So I work right. full time uh, and I do my projects. Same as you. Sometimes they're right. negative cash flow. $10,000 checks yeah. here, $20,000 checks here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so the day job is what is enabling me to take on these higher return projects. If, if not, I would have to look for more stabilized properties um, and the returns would be lower. But yeah, so I mean, it, it, I think it really depends like on the the person and what job they have. Like doctors and lawyers, they've invested so much in their careers. Um, they're making good money now. Some people, some doctors and lawyers do quit their their jobs to to be full time investors. But I do know a handful that don't. Um, and they and they are also so busy that they are the types that want to buy stabilized properties. Um, so that's like a profile there. Uh, or they buy into syndications if if they don't buy the whole asset. So me personally, um, yeah, again, it is my day job that's funding these projects uh, and my livelihood um, for now. <laughs> I, I'm also not in a hurry to quit because there are these golden handcuffs. There's there's a lot of money to leave on the table if I quit. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, IPOs and stuff, investing and RSUs yeah. and whatnot, right? So Exactly. I'm mean, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So Jason, we're coming up on time. Thank you again for coming on the show. Do you have any last minute tips you'd like to give to our listeners before we wrap up today? Um, I mean, just get started. I think that's the main thing. Like, like I said, my first property, there were so many lessons learned there. Um, you'll figure out what you want in real estate, what you don't want in real estate. So I think getting started is the key. That's um, a really good point, man, because it's funny. So like we have this course called remote rental riches, right? Where we just teach people how to mm -hmm. buy their first out of state rental property. And for us, we've done this so many times. It's like not a big deal, right? You get the deal, yeah. you find the area, blah, 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 get it done. But for many people, they're super scared of just getting started. They have so many questions about the unknown. And I'm like, well, I mean, honestly, with real estate investing, most of these unknown factors can be solved with a dollar sign. You just pay yeah. a contractor to come and fix it. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but they're mortified. And but it's funny because I'm feeling the same way about multifamily. 
Like I look at yeah. a 40 unit in the same eyes that a new investor looks at a single family out of state. Like, oh yeah. my God, what if all these issues happen? So I think, you know, especially seeing your, your success, going from one to 90 plus units in two years, yeah, it's like, well, okay, so it's doable. I think as long as you have the right team, yeah. right brokers, right? And you know, we, we definitely do qualify for many of this financing options that you mentioned. So yeah. we'll probably get take a look at it when we move. Dude, just start with five. And, uh, you yeah. know, like... I mean, we already have one. We already have four units, right? And yeah, it's, not, so it's just, not a big deal. Once you break into five, it's... It'll it's probably be 10 or 15. Right? So... Otherwise, it's not worth our time. <laughs> <laughs> like six, it's like, why bother getting a commercial loan if I can just get four, right? But in any case, yeah. yeah, Jason, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with our you know, listeners. How can people find out more about you? Right now, I'm not really in like the... I don't really have a website or anything. So like, you know, if people have questions and want to connect, uh, they can always um, email me. I, I'm not super active on social media. I'm like you. <laughs> um, Dude, you got to so, get on it, man. No, no. <laughs> Especially if you want to start raising money. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, right now, really on in that growth path right now, because, you know, growing takes so much time and effort. And with the day job, I, I just don't think I can really like I, I wouldn't be able to do the best that i can for investors um so right now i'm just kind of like still continuing to learn um grow a little bit each year and then to the point where I, when i'm ready to scale then then that's when i'll probably hop on TikTok and reach a million in in a couple of months you know <laughs> Let's get it, man. Um, but for now, just email. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to me, they can email uh, Jason at jylventures.com. Okay, yeah. awesome. Well, Jason, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yep, thanks, Sean. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.